0: Good morning, everyone. I'm going to bring your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're going to continue our series this morning of um, finding Christmas in unexpected places in the scripture. And John chapter 6, verse 35, will be one of those unexpected places. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you as your people who want uh, to worship you in spirit and truth, and we ask, Father, would you help us this morning Uh, to draw our hearts to you in those ways. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found in it. And Father, we mostly want to thank you that Jesus is the answer to the deepest longings of our soul, and we thank you so much for that gift. And Father, we pray that as Will comes to teach us this morning, that you would use his message to increase our knowledge of you and our love for you. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So like Mary Kay said, welcome back to our second week of Christmas in Unexpected Places. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking uh, at Exodus chapter 16, where God provides manna in the wilderness and how that closely parallels with John chapter 6, where Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. So this week, as I was um, preparing for uh, this message, I always write my intro last because I want to make sure I know where I'm going before I actually get to the intro, and I really couldn't think of a better way to introduce the topic, and so um, what I'm going to do is tell you about some really good bread that I ate recently. We're talking about manna in the wilderness, and it just seems to all fit together. So uh, for Thanksgiving, my wife Anna and I, we went to Knoxville to visit her family, and we had a great time. Uh, A bunch of people, uh, a lot of her extended family came into Knoxville from out of town, And uh, one of her cousins happens to be from Long Island. Uh, Now, if any of you know anything about that area of the country, Long Island, New York, New York City, they have the best bagels in the world. It's not even really up for debate. The bagels are just top-notch, incredible. And we were lucky enough that him and his wife brought a bunch of fresh New York City bagels, and we uh, we were able to enjoy those all week. I am not exaggerating when I say I had one for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At different times throughout the course of the week, It was awesome, all right? That's my intro for you guys. So we're going to, we're all thinking about bread now. So let's jump into our scripture for this morning. Uh, This morning, I want to look at key verses in Exodus 16 and draw parallels to John chapter 6 and then ultimately Christmas at the end. Maybe, we'll see. (laughs) So my main points are going to be on the screen as we move through Exodus 16, but um, please follow along in your Bibles as well. There's going to be a lot of scripture that we're covering, and uh, I just want to make sure everyone's tracking along with us. So um, Exodus 16, just so we can set the context a little bit, it comes right after the ten plagues in Egypt, and then God eventually bringing Israel out of Egypt. Um, In Exodus 15, the chapter right before what we're going to be looking at, Moses and the nation of Israel, they're singing a song of praise to the Lord, and they couldn't be more thankful that they'd been brought out of Egypt. Now, unfortunately, as we often see with Israel, their gratitude and praise, it quickly turned to grumbling and complaining. And at the start of Exodus 16, we're told that Israel, they've been away from uh, Egypt for about a month now, and they come to the wilderness of sin. Now, I was doing some reading this week, and I found out that that could easily translate to the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. But for the sake of how we know the story of Israel goes, a lot of times we're sticking with the wilderness of Sin because it just seems the most appropriate. We'll see a little bit more about that in a bit. So while they were there, uh, they, be- they began complaining against Moses and Aaron, who were their leaders, saying that they didn't have enough food. And it seems as though they're anticipating their supplies are going to quickly run out and their singing of praise in chapter 15, it turns to complaining very quickly. What's interesting is that as we start chapter 16, Israel seems to kind of harness a selective memory regarding their time in Egypt. So in verse 3, they almost go so far as to look back fondly on their time in Egypt, only remembering that they had food. They're actually wishing they were back in Egypt. So they put aside the fact that they were slaves in Egypt to remember, well, at least we were fed. So with Israel's complaining and their selective memory in mind, we come to an unexpected blessing in verse 4. Uh, let's all look at Exodus sixteen four together. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So Israel is complaining about not having what they need, and instead of punishing them for their unfaithfulness, to God, uh, for their unfaithfulness, God is gracious and merciful. This is a wild and unexpected blessing because bread doesn't normally rain from heaven, at least not in my experience. God promised that he would provide for Israel in this unexpected way. And this really shows us how creative thoughtful, powerful, and resourceful God is. He can and will provide for us, and he sometimes does it in a way that we don't expect and we can't anticipate. Now, this unexpected blessing is great, and Israel is gonna have what they need to survive in the wilderness, but God is also trying to teach them something in the middle of all this. So let's look at verse four again. At the end of verse four, God says to Moses, the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. God's provision in the wilderness, it came with an expectation of obedience. God tells them that they will have what they need, but they need to do it his way. By placing stipulations on how Israel was going to gather bread, God was able to see the measure of their obedience. Now, to some people, that could almost sound a bit manipulative, you can have the bread as long as you do it my way and as long as you pass the test. Well, the reality is that God tests us to refine us. So let's think about Israel, broad scope Israel. They've just left Egypt. They're in the first month of what turned out to be a 40-year journey. They were going to need to trust God as they wandered through the desert. God is laying a foundation of trust with the Israelites, as basic in something as basic as their need for food, and the true test really comes in verse five. If you want to look there, verse five says, "On the sixth day, when they prepared what they, uh, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily." they are going to be grabbing double what they need on the sixth day so that they can rest on the seventh day is what that eventually turns into. And there's an expectation of obedience that Israel is going to fall in line with that. Next, we're going to see Moses tell the people what God is going to provide. That light, bear with me, people. It is off and on. (laughs) Next, we're going to see Moses tell the people what God is going to provide. So let's go to verses 6 through 8. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So in these verses, Moses tells the people of Israel about the bread from heaven that God is going to provide. But before we talk a little bit more about that, I want to notice something in verse six. Let's look at verse six again real quick. It says, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, that evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So verse six is a little bit confusing to me because it seems like Israel should have already known that it was God that brought them out of Egypt. Between the plagues, the Passover, crossing of the Red Sea, it seems like Israel should have a pretty good grasp on it was God that brought us out of Egypt. Regardless, Israel is still gonna see that the Lord brought them out of Egypt in the evening and they're gonna see the glory of the Lord in the morning through his provision, which ultimately is an act of love towards them and goodness. God doesn't send punishment and condemnation from heaven, which is what they deserved. He promises to send quail in the evening and bread in the morning, undeserved bread from heaven. And like always, God comes through on his promise. He sends uh, quail and bread. In verse 14, we're told that the bread God sends from heaven is like frost on the ground after the dew lifts in the morning, and in verse 15 the people's response when they see it is, is borderline comical. They look at it and they say, what is it? Like they walk out in the morning after the dew lifts, what is it? Now, a lot of people know this bread from heaven as manna, and Israel's response when they see it is actually how manna gets its name. Manna literally means, what is it? So in the Bible, when you see that, that's literally what that, what that means for you. So Moses steps in and explains to the people that this is the bread that God has provided. God met the needs of Israel, but he did it in a way that they did not expect. It was an unrecognized provision. Moses explained to the people that God said to gather as much as you and your family need for the day, no more and no less. Do not take extra and let it sit until the next day. The only exception to that is on the sixth day, the Israelites should go and gather double so they can rest on the seventh. God will provide what they need each day. So God gave Israel bread from heaven, and he did so to provide for their needs, but he also does this to teach them an eternal lesson of dependence on him. God will often allow us to be in a place of need, and he doesn't do that to punish us. He does this to teach us and allow, allow us to see his powerful provision on display. Now, that was kind of a quick flyover of the story in Exodus 16, so I want to make sure that everyone is still with me. We're going to recap real quick the four main points that we walked through, but I'm also going to grab a sip of water real quick. All right, so first, there is an unexpected blessing. Israel is complaining that they don't have enough food, and God provides for them when all they really deserved was punishment. Second, there's an expectation of obedience. God is going to provide for Israel everything that they need. But in the process, he wants to test their trust in him. He sets guidelines on how they are to gather the bread, and he, uh, he sends, and he expects that they will obey those guidelines. Third, we see God come through on his promise and send bread from heaven. This is God's mercy and goodness on display. He comes through on his promise, as he always does, and gives Israel what they don't deserve. And fourth, there was an unrecognized provision. Although God provided for Israel, they didn't recognize God's provision. They look at the bread and they have to ask, what is it? God met the needs of Israel in a way that they did not expect. All in all, to sum it up, God saw that Israel had a physical need and he met that need. They were hungry and he provided bread and quail. So we're now going to jump over to John 6 and uh, draw out some parallels between Exodus 16 and John 6. So if you have your Bible you want to turn over there, um, go ahead and do that. We're going to look at a little bit of background, though, on um, John, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So... Let's talk about where John chapter 6 falls in Jesus' life. So at the start of John 6, we see a familiar passage where Jesus uh, performs an amazing miracle by feeding 5,000 people with a random child's picnic, uh, picnic lunch. With just five barley loaves and two fish, he feeds basically an entire army of people, and if that isn't enough, there's leftovers at the end. Now, a side note on that, this is totally unrelated to anything spiritual, but Leftovers are the, uh, half the reason that I enjoy Thanksgiving and Christmas meals. And can anyone else relate to that? All right. If that doesn't show you how great Jesus is, then nothing will. Like, flat out, it just won't do it. Leftovers, there are, there are tons of leftovers at the end of this, nine baskets full, actually. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the crowd is so amazed by Jesus that they're going to make him king by force. And so the passage tells us that he withdraws. He, he moves away. Verses 16 through 20 of chapter 6, we see another amazing miracle where Jesus is walking on water in the middle of a storm. Now, I wish we could talk more about both of these passages. The reality is we don't have enough time to do any of that, so onward we go into the rest of John. The real uh, parallels with Exodus 16 are found in verses uh, 22 through 59, but for the sake of time, we're going to look at verses 22 through 40. Um, sometime this week, I would encourage everyone to look at all of John chapter 6. It's kind of a long chapter, but there is some really, really rich material there. Like you learn a lot about Jesus and, and really who he is in John chapter 6. So it's well worth your time to look at the, the chapter as a whole. Um, to help us understand how we should be looking uh, at verses 22 through 40, though, I want to read a section of a book that I was studying this week. This should be up on the screen behind me. Perfect. It says, contained in these verses are various puzzles of some complexity. But basically, the whole discussion is framed by Jesus' just-completed feeding of the 5,000. This marks Jesus as a prophet, at least on equal terms with Moses, through whom God provided manna to his people Israel. But Jesus wants to take the discussion several steps further. He is not just offering bread. He is offering the bread of life. So let's jump into verses 22 through 24, and we can see that, the, crowds, um, that uh, the crowd that Jesus had just fed is searching for him kind of in a frenzy, and they find him across the Sea of Galilee because if you remember, Jesus had just walked on water, and he, in doing so, he crossed the Sea of Galilee. When they find him there, they begin asking him when he got there and how he got there, and that brings us to verses 26 and 27. Let's take a look at those together once I turn there. <laughs> Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus, like he often does, he addresses the people head on. He says, Look, you're seeking me because I met a physical need, I fed you when you were hungry. He then tries to redirect their minds to something more implicit, He opens their eyes to the fact that they need more than just food. They need more than just their physical needs being met. The follow-up question asked by the crowd in verse 28 shows that they really still aren't understanding Jesus. They ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So Jesus, he gets as straightforward as possible. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And the people's response to that may be the most nonsensical thing that you'll read today. Basically, they say, if you want us to believe in you, then what sign will you give us? Moses gave, us the, uh, Moses gave the Israelites bread from heaven. What do you have for us? They're kind of casting aside the fact that they were fed not long ago by Jesus in a miraculous way. And so by asking what sign it is, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus instead of being frustrated by their lack of understanding, responds in a very gracious way, even though the people just really don't understand what he's trying to say. Let's look at verses uh, 32 and 33 to see his response. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they're kind of starting to track with Jesus finally, and rightfully, or and they um, ask a question in, in verse thirty four. No, they don't ask a question; they they make a statement in uh, verse thirty four. Sir, give us this bread always. And then uh, in verse thirty five, we see, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. Let's look at um, verse thirty five together. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger." and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. What a beautiful promise. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. In other words, Jesus is saying, I will satisfy. That's to sum up what he's getting at, I will satisfy. Verses 36 through 40, they kind of explain a few more things that go along with this. There's things said like, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I have come from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. Now, this is all of John 6 that we're going to look at, but um, even in that section, there are really strong parallels with Exodus 16. So uh, to start, I want to uh, make sure we're remembering the four things we talked about in Exodus 16. It's an unexpected blessing, an expectation of obedience, bread from heaven, and unrecognized provision. So let's walk through these parallels. First, an unexpected blessing. In Exodus 16, Israel was complaining that they don't have enough food and God provides for them when all they really deserved was punishment. In John 6, Jesus is the unexpected blessing. The people that Jesus was sent to and sent for deserved punishment, but instead they were sent a beloved son that would save the world. He was an unexpected blessing. Second, there was an expectation of obedience. God provided for Israel everything that they would need. But in the process, he wants to test their trust in him. He sets guidelines on how they are to gather the bread he sends and expects that they will obey. In John 6, Jesus tells the crowds that the expectation is that they believe in the one who God sent. Obedience and belief are required. Third, we see God come through on his promise and send bread from heaven in Exodus 16. This is God's mercy and goodness on display. He comes through on his promise as he always does and gives Israel what they don't deserve. In John 6, Jesus is very direct in saying that he is the bread of life. He is the bread from heaven sent by God to provide the people with what they need. And fourth, there was an unrecognized provision. Although God provided for Israel in Exodus 16, they didn't recognize God's provision. They look at the bread and they have to ask, what is it? God met the needs of Israel in a way that they did not expect. In John chapter 6, it's the same story. The people can't wrap their heads around who Jesus is. He feeds them physically through miraculous means, and they're still asking for signs. Jesus is the unrecognized provision. Now, all of those parallels, in my opinion, I think they're awesome. I love how the Bible works together. There's kind of foreshadowing in the Bible, and the Bible really works beautifully, the Old Testament, New Testament, all of it. But what does any of it actually mean? And how does any of it apply to us? Some of you are wondering, probably, how does any of this apply to Christmas? Because I haven't talked about Christmas at all yet. (laughs) Don't worry, we're almost there. In Exodus 16, uh, Israel has a physical hunger that they're complaining about. Now, when you're physically hungry, it's pretty easy to tell. Your stomach might growl. You might get lightheaded. You might have a headache. You might even get a little bit hangry, grumpy with the people around you, you know. All things that point to physical hunger, and they're all things that are easy to pick up on. When you're physically hungry, it's easy to satisfy that hunger as well. You eat something. And then, uh, and when you're legitimately hungry, you get a lot less picky about what you will actually eat, too. It's pretty straightforward to satisfy physical hunger. Let's look at John 6.35 again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Do we think Jesus was talking about physical hunger here? Probably not. He's talking about spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is something that needs to be addressed just as much, if not more, than physical hunger. Spiritual hunger comes from not being satisfied by Jesus and all that he has to offer. Spiritual hunger comes from turning to the world to find satisfaction and then realizing that it's actually nowhere to be found. All of us, by nature, we look to the world and things around us to satisfy us. A few examples, our jobs, our kids, our spouses, our sports teams, our friends, ourselves. There's so many things that people rely on in order to be satisfied. Here's the problem. The truth is that Jesus, the bread of life, the bread from heaven, is the only thing that can satisfy that spiritual hunger. And think about this. How ironic and how cool is it that the bread from heaven came to earth as a baby, thus was placed to put our faith in Jesus and have allowed him to satisfy our spiritual hunger. Let's not kid ourselves this morning. Things are not always perfect. We get busy and distracted and tired and we can sometimes set our faith aside completely, especially in a busy season like Christmas when we're really distracted. It can be so easy to let the entire month of December go by and not give Jesus a whole lot of thought other than a few Sunday mornings along the way. My challenge, my encouragement, is that this month you prioritize celebrating and anticipating the coming of our Lord. God's plan from the beginning was to save us through his son. Christmas is the time each year that we remember and celebrate the fact that he came to earth in humble circumstances in order to satisfy our spiritual hunger. Jesus is the bread of life, and he is the bread from heaven. Let's thank him for that as we pray. God, I'm just so thankful for uh, your word and the truth that can be found in your word. And um, God, uh, just seeing how the Old Testament and the New Testament they work together so beautifully, and they they all point us to the same thing, and that's Jesus. And and God, um, without Him, we would be so lost. And as we think about um, our own spiritual hunger and where we're at with that, God, I just ask that you would. Um, reveal to all of us a way that we can become more reliant on you to satisfy us and more reliant on Jesus to meet the needs that we have. God, it's just so easy to get distracted and so easy to to get off course. And, um, God, we need you to keep us on course. We need you and your word to to guide us and direct us. And, God, your spirit to work within us, to to point us in the directions that we should go. God, as we think about uh, Christmas and the Christmas season, help us to... um, really set aside time, be intentional in celebrating and anticipating and looking forward to Christmas Day where we ultimately celebrate Jesus coming to earth and and all that that entails. God, I'm just uh, so thankful that we're able to set some time aside each year to celebrate that. And and God, um, please just as we go today, uh, change our hearts, change our lives, and help us to rely on you. It's in Jesus' name.